That video is a reminder. Uh, Sometimes Christians are their own worst public relations firm. Uh, Because a lot of times the way we we live our faith doesn't really match with what the Bible says we should be doing or how we should be living. But the fact of the matter is, more and more as time goes on, the world around us really doesn't know what Christians believe. They don't really know what we, what we believe, how we think, what the world, they just assume, maybe from it's the news or their encounter, or maybe that a negative encounter with a Christian or the church, and they just assume they know what we are all about, uh, but often they don't. Uh, in April, the actress Patti Lapone was on the talk show The View, I've often wondered when the demise, of, when the history of the United States is written and, our, and it comes to the part where America dissolved into conflict, if it won't acknowledge the starting point was daytime talk shows. But she was on The View and uh, got in a conversation about the Christian right, as it's called in our culture, the Christian right. And she made the statement, she said, I really can't tell much difference between the Christian right in America and the Taliban in Afghanistan. Now, a couple of things that statement tells us that she can say that on television uh, without much pushback from the other seated there is, first of all, our culture largely views Christians in a negative light, in a negative way. Uh, Now, it also tells us she has no idea what the Taliban believes. If she were living in Afghanistan under the Taliban, I could help her out with that. First of all, she would never have been able to criticize the Taliban. Secondly, she would have never been able to speak out without permission. And third, she'd be walking around fully covered in public. So yeah, there's a little bit of difference. But the biggest difference that we need to be sure we can explain is that what we believe is so vastly different than what Muslims believe. And our beliefs always dictate how we behave, or at least they should. What we believe about grace, about Christ, about the fact he is our living hope, so vastly different than what Muslims believe. Entirely different. But here's my question to you. If someone said, hey, I saw Patti Lapone on television make that statement. Can you explain to me what Christians believe and how that's different from what Muslims believe? Would you be able to answer that? You see, the sad truth is most Christians today really don't know what the Bible teaches or what we believe. Uh, Surveys and studies have shown far and away that Christians, evangelical, Bible-believing, going-to-church Christians, do not, most of us do not live by a biblical worldview. We really don't know what we believe or how to apply that to our lives. That's, That's what that means. That's why we're studying the letter of 1 Peter. Because in Peter's time, being able to explain what a Christian believed and living the lifestyle of a Christian could be a matter of life or death. And it may be for us very soon in our own country and culture. Right now, our issue is, can we have a constructive gospel conversation with someone and give answers without arguing? Can we tell someone lovingly, kindly, honestly, truthfully, and accurately what we believe? And why it's different from other religions or from the world around us. As we go back to the book of 1 Peter in chapter 1 this morning, we're going to pick up where we left off last time. We're going to finish chapter 1 and start with chapter 2 after Mother's Day. 
Uh, in this section, Peter turns a corner. The rest of the letter is about practicing your faith in a hostile culture, living for Christ. It's about your conduct. It's about what the church is in the world. And it's about how to answer hard questions. How to answer without arguing. How to uh, respond when you are confronted. And Peter's going to help us out with that starting this week and the days ahead. And what he does today is he lays a big picture groundwork, as we'll see in just a moment, a big picture groundwork to be prepared for answering questions and living for Christ in our culture. Uh, this is especially pertinent to us at First Baptist Church. We're talking a lot about gospel conversations or who's your one wall uh, in the uh, education wing. I hope you have prayed about and put a name on the who's your one wall. Somebody you're praying for, somebody that you're praying God will give you a gospel conversation with them. But the thing is, a lot of times we don't enter into those gospel conversations. In fact, we sort of avoid them because we're not entirely sure how to answer questions, how to be prepared or especially if we're confronted or it generates an argument or conflict, how do we respond to that? What does God teach us? What do we want to do? But in the first century, it was a pretty much a foregone conclusion that there would be hostility anytime the gospel was brought up. So Peter addresses that for us, addresses our lifestyle, addresses our beliefs, and addresses how to answer hard questions and have a gospel conversation. So look there with me this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to pick up at verse 13 and read through the remainder of the chapter. And what we're going to be talking about this morning are three practices that prepare us for constructive conversations in our culture. Three practices that prepare us, how you can be prepared. It doesn't start with what you know, it starts with who you are and how you live for Christ as well. So look at this with me, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13. Peter says, therefore, now the therefore is there to remind us this follows everything that came before it. Uh, everything that came before it was about who you are in Christ, your living hope, your eternal inheritance. Everything, you're, you're being born again into an imperishable life in Christ. All, your resurrection life, all of that is the foundation for this. Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy, the Lord says. If you appeal to the Father who judges impartially according to each one's work, you are to conduct yourselves in reverence during your time living as strangers. Now you'll remember a theme of the book is that he's writing to Christians that have been exiled into Asia Minor from the city of Rome because of their faith. They are strangers, physically strangers in a foreign land, but he reminds us we are all strangers because we are citizens of heaven. Verse 18, For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was revealed in the last times for you. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have purified yourselves by the obedience, by your obedience to the truth, so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other from a pure heart, love one another constantly. Because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For, 
All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. When you believed the gospel, when you trusted Christ, when you were born again in Christ, you believed and entrusted him and his eternal word, and it will not perish and will not change. So for a few minutes, let's look at this. Three practices that prepare you to answer and confront conflict in culture, answer, talk about what you believe, and even confront that conflict. Three practices. First of all, Peter says, focus your mind. Focus your mind. The Bible teaches this basic principle over and over throughout Scripture that what you believe dictates how you behave. How you think will always dictate how you behave. We've seen it before. We're seeing it again here. So the Christian must first understand and grasp what we truly believe and how that's different from what other religions believe and what the non-believing world says and how the world thinks. It's different. Here's what Peter says. Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Remember last week we saw the revelation of Jesus Christ, the return of Christ, the final consummation of all things. Set your hope on Christ and His grace. That's the command of these opening verses that we read. To set your hope completely. And if you're holding your own Bible, you can underscore that word completely. Because that's the important word, to set your hope completely. Why does that matter? Well, because of the way Christians operate and think in the world. And you'll, you know you'll agree with this, whether you nod or not, that typically our hope is partly in Christ and it's partly in the world. Now, our hope for salvation, of course, is in Christ, and our hope for His return, of course, is in Christ. But in our day-by-day lives, we tend to dilute or, or even be distracted by a divided hope. We say we hope in Christ and we trust in Christ, but at the same time, we hope in government. If we get the perfect president, maybe everything will turn out okay. And we hope in finances. If I made just enough money, maybe everything would turn out okay. And we hope in that next job, and we hope in that next job, and we hope in our spouse to be perfect, and we hope in our children that they'll be perfect. Because, you know, that's going to happen. And the list goes on and on. We hope in the military to solve all our problems. We hope in this, and we hope in that, and we hope in this, and we hope in that. So Peter says, stop dividing it. Stop diluting it. Stop being distracted. You have one hope. And the way you think about hope will dictate how you behave. So set your hope completely in the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Set your hope there. Anchor it in Him, your living hope. He does not waver. He does not wither. He does not waffle. He does not change. And that hope is eternal. Set your hope. Set your hope in Him. The Apostle Paul would later put it this way. Paul would say, Uh, When you think, set your mind on the things above, not on the things of earth. However you want to phrase it or say it, the principle is the same. Focus your mind, focus your faith. Focus your thinking on the things of God and on Christ himself. Because I tell you this, the more you set your mind on the hope you have in Christ, the the less you will worry about the things of the world. And the more you'll be prepared to answer difficult questions 
have constructive conversations because your hope is in him. Your hope is not in popularity. For example, a lot of times we hope in popularity, and that's what distracts us from having constructive conversations. We're afraid that if we bring up Jesus or we answer truthfully that so-and-so won't like us or that so-and-so will actively ridicule us or make fun of us or go on social media and say this or that. I'll be honest with you, that might happen. But is your hope in popularity or is your hope in Christ? See the difference? So Peter says, first, set your hope. Focus your mind on the hope you have in Christ. And with that, prepare your mind for action and be sober-minded. The phrase, prepare your mind for action, is a word picture in the ancient language. And what it literally means is, gird up the loins of your mind. Here's why. In the ancient world, most men wore long garments, uh, long robes-like garments to relax in day by day. That's what they wore. Sometimes they would wear a a top covering, what you might call a vest uh, or um, something like it over the top. But they always wore around the house and when they were in the marketplace and and, and uh, visiting with the neighbors, they wore this long, comfortable outer garment. But that garment had a sash, what we would call a belt, and when they had to go to work, or if they had to go to war, or even on more rare occasions, if they had to run away, they would roll up that long garment and tuck it in. That was called girding. Rolling it up, tuck it in. And what, what, what you, you read in the scripture as loins, especially, and it was really hips. So it would be something like girding up past your hips to your sash, that garment. Why? So you can get to work. That's how Peter uses the picture. Your mind should be girded up, ready for action, ready for work. At a moment's notice, you should be ready to, set, to talk about your beliefs, how you think. And how that's different from how your neighbor thinks or the world thinks or other religions think. Your mind should be sharpened up and ready for action. Then he adds to that because you're sober-minded. Now, that means exactly what you think it means. Your mind is not intoxicated. But it doesn't mean by alcohol in this phrase, although it can draw that picture. And in Scripture, that picture is drawn elsewhere because the principle applies the same. That is to say, you should have clarity of mind and sound judgment. Your mind should never be distracted or intoxicated by the things of the world. Even by your worry or your desire of popularity, you should be so focused on the things of Christ, so ready to work. The mind is sharpened up, focused on his hope, ready to go to work at a moment's notice. Ready to answer instead of argue. Ready to stand firm for the gospel. Ready to speak the truth of God with love. Ready to say what you believe. Wow, how many of us could say today, we're that ready, we're that clear in our minds, our judgment, our wisdom, our insight, we're that ready. We know so well what we believe. If someone engaged you in a conversation at lunch today, you could tell them what you believe, the basics of it, the depth of it, the richness of it, and why your hope is in Christ and in Christ alone. Now, it's true that frequently in our culture, 
When we want to have a gospel conversation, we we can bump into real conflict. Things are, are getting more argumentative day by day. Now, the Bible doesn't get us off the hook for that. What the Bible teaches us is to always be prayerful in those conversations and ask others to pray for you. You know, the Apostle Paul asked the Colossian church to pray for him when he left them to go somewhere else to share the gospel. And one of the, one of the things he said, this is how you can pray for me, he said, pray that I will know how to answer each one. That's a good way to pray for each other, isn't it? When you're in those moments of conflict, stay calm. Know what you believe. In fact, knowing what you believe gives confidence, doesn't it? And when that person erupts just a bit, starts getting angry, and our culture is shouting down people is, uh, apparently is the accepted way to have a conversation. You don't need to do that. You know what you can ask somebody? It's a good question. Ask them, why are you so angry? I'd be happy to talk with you. But why are you so angry? Another thing you can do is simply ask that person, the person you're having a, a, a conversation with or that you want to, Tell them this. Here's a great thing to tell them. Tell them, you can ask me any question you want to if you'll do it without arguing. Anything, anything's wide open. I'll be happy to talk about anything, and if I don't know the answer, I'll find out the answer, and we'll get back together. Anything you want to if you'll do it without anger or arguing. But Peter's point is that you are ready for that. Are you that confident? that you know what you believe, that your mind is ready for action, that your hope is set on him. So your first preparation is to focus your mind on the things of God and be ready to know what you believe. Secondly, to practice holy conduct. Your lifestyle needs to back up what you say you believe. So Peter says, practice holy conduct. And he frames it in, in the truth that uh, we are children of God. He is holy, so we should be holy. Look at verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance, but as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in your conduct. It's a given, believer, that you are a child of God. And we are all, who are Christians, are children of God, and we want to be obedient children of the Heavenly Father. So Peter says, in the negative, do not do this. Child of God, listen. Be obedient, and in being obedient to God, do not be conformed to your former, to desires of your former ignorance. And let that sink in for just a minute. The way he describes your former life without Christ, your old sinner self, you were ignorant. Why? Because you didn't know what you believed. You didn't know what Christians really believed. Now you came to the truth. The truth, as Jesus puts it, has set you free in Christ. Your desires pull you back to the old life. It's illustrating an ignorance about who you are in Christ. It's illustrating, uh, to be pulled back is to, be, to illustrate an ignorance about everything else Peter has taught you about yourself. As we said early on, remember, the core principle he is teaching is that it's who you are that matters, not where you are. If you are strangers in this land, it's still who you are, your character in Christ that matters. And if you drift back into that older life or you choose that old way of doing things, it just shows your ignorance of the truth. 
Don't do that. Don't do that. When he says, don't be conformed, it translates a word that gives us our English word synchronized or synced with. Uh, Don't be joined with the desires of your old way of life, that that ignorant person that had no, no idea who, you didn't know who you were in Christ. Now that you do know who you are, don't do that. Instead, he says, be holy. You're an obedient child of God, so pursue, be holy, as your heavenly Father is holy. Uh, To be holy means to be set apart for Christ, set apart from the world. It means to be sanctified, to be His. So the negative is do not, that is, do not be conformed to the desires of your old ignorant self. Now that you know who you are, you're an obedient child of God, mimic Him. Be like your Father. Be holy in Christ. Uh, To apply this simply means watch your conduct day by day. That old sinner self is going to raise its head occasionally and say, wouldn't you still like to do that? Wouldn't you still like to do this? Wouldn't you still like to watch that movie, go online, look at those pictures, think that way, be with that person? But your mind's ready for that too. Remember, you've been preparing your mind. And your hope is in Christ. And you know that's the old life. The new life is to be obedient to your heavenly Father and be holy just as he is holy. So let me ask you this, believer in Christ, is there anything in your life God's showing you right now that does not mimic his holiness? Instead, it tends to sync with the old life and synchronize with the old habits. Anything God's showing you that you need to repent of before the day is up, say, God, forgive me for that and turn my back on that and and walk in newness and obedience as a child of God. The second practice then is to watch your conduct. Practice holy conduct day by day. And if God shows you anything you need to confess to him, anything you need to be cleansed of, Confess that to him. Then move forward from there. Don't belabor it and stay in it. Move forward from there because of who you are now. You're an obedient child of God. And that brings us to the third practice that Peter focuses on. Uh, Along with that, cultivate godly relationships. Cultivate godly relationships. Did you notice the first two practices are choices you make for you? This this is your life, your lifestyle. They are big picture choices that will prepare you for conversations and prepare you for hostility in the culture. Big picture choices, day by day, focusing your mind, your hope in Christ, cultivating and practicing holy conduct. But then he looks at all of us. And this is a favorite topic of Peter in the book of 1 Peter is the church. And by the church, he doesn't mean coming to church or going to church or that one hour a week. He means the people of God. The people of God. And to make it through and to be be prepared and solid in, in your life as a follower of Christ, you need to cultivate godly relationships. Cultivate relationships among the people of God. Other Christians along the way. Verse 22, he says, 
since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth. Remember, you're not ignorant anymore. Now you know the truth. And the truth is cleansing you and changing your life. To that, you show sincere brotherly love for each other. From a pure heart, love one another constantly. Because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. The truth is changing you. And the more you're in the truth, the more it changes you. It purifies you. The more you adopt the truth into your lifestyle, the more your conduct becomes holy. The truth is the truth of the word of God. And you apply that to your life. So it's purifying you. God is changing you with his truth. And one of the things that should change is the way you look at relationships in the body of Christ. Uh, To put it bluntly, Peter says, if you're going to make it, you need each other. And if you're going to, when you need each other, when you realize that, here's the key to understand. You and I, siblings in Christ, if you're sitting in this room, you're at home, you've been born again in Christ, never forget this. You have more in common with your siblings in Christ than you will ever have a conflict with your siblings in Christ. What a tragedy when we treat one another as if we do not have in common our hope in Christ and our forgiveness in Christ. That's Peter's point. You've all been born again with the imperishable seed, the truth of God in Jesus Christ. Siblings in Christ never forget this. When you have an inclination to to, to argue with one another, when when, when you tend to take sides, you're forgetting You're forgetting what you have in common matters so much more than whatever differences you might have. What you have in common is you have been born again in Jesus Christ. You are the forgiven people of God. You are the children of God, serving in obedience together with God. You might sometimes disagree. You might sometimes knock heads and and have a tough time getting along. But I tell you what, If we stop looking at that little problem and start looking at the bigger picture and remembering sibling in Christ, we've been saved together. That's what's different, first and foremost, between you and the rest of the world and every other religion. That's what binds us together. So Peter says this, first of all, he says, knowing that, constantly commit to brotherly love. Constantly practice brotherly love love. Now the Bible has a few words in the Greek language that we translate into love and we've got two of them in this passage, two different words that apply to love two different ways. The brotherly love is, a, is a very literal. Brotherly love. That is to say you are siblings in Christ. Love each other like your siblings in Christ. You might be thinking, well Peter didn't know my siblings. Well Peter had a brother named James right? Peter had brothers too, too, excuse me, James and John were brothers. Peter had siblings too. Peter knew what it was like to be, to be around brothers in this world, but he also knew what it was like when the heart is changed. Siblings in the world, in your first birth, yeah, sometimes you don't get along, but imagine when those two siblings come to faith in Christ and they're born again in Christ. Peter was saying, we have more in common than we have in conflict. Never forget that. So constantly, not occasionally, when the mood strikes you, not occasionally when your sibling in Christ is likable, but constantly practice brotherly love. 
for one another. And then he says, from a pure heart, love one another as well. That's the other word, the word for unconditional love. So you're practicing brotherly love constantly and you're practicing unconditional love constantly. You know what that creates? That creates very forgiving Christians. Doesn't it? And it's Christians who remember we have more in common than we would ever have in conflict. It's Christians who remember I didn't deserve to be saved. Jesus saved me by his grace. And when I, when I take a stance against my sibling in Christ, I'm acting like somebody that I deserve to be saved, but, but they didn't. No. We all started from the same place. We all repented of our sins and trusted Christ as our Savior, and we were graciously and gloriously saved by the blood and the resurrection of our Jesus, who is now our living hope. And we have that in common. That's good news, isn't it? That's good news. So implement these three practices. Make choices to be ready at any time to answer those who want to argue, to cultivate healthy gospel conversations. Be ready at any time. And be a church that loves one another constantly, that cultivates love for one another. And the, and the world outside sees that. Be, be the kind of church, the kind of people of God, when, when the world sees the way we behave, instead of saying, well, I don't want to be part of that, the world says, I'd really like to know what's going on there. I'd really like to be part of that. How, how did you change? What... what what makes it possible for you guys to love each other the way that you do? And you say, I'm glad you asked me that. Let me tell you about the hope that I have in Christ and that all my siblings in Christ share with me. Let me tell you how he took us broken people and saved us. And let me tell you how us together, we, we believers in Christ, we're making it through this world. No matter how hostile or difficult it gets, we're praying for each other. We're lifting each other up. We're calling each other. We're having lunch with each other. We do Bible studies together. We're in fellowship together. Let me tell you what it means to be part of a loving body. The body of Christ. A few years ago, 14-year-old girl, Susan Bergman, made headlines uh, running in her middle school and then later her high school uh, as a cross-country runner, became something of, a, uh, of a, uh, a favorite of the press for just a little while across the nation. Not because she was winning every event, but because of who her running partner was in every long-distance race. Uh, in 2021, Susan Bergman was 14 years old. And that's when she made the headlines because her 15-year-old brother, her, her older brother, would run with her. Uh, his name is Jeffrey, and when Jeffrey was 22 months old, he suffered a cardiac arrest, and as a result, has been disabled for life. But when she would practice run, she would take Jeffrey with her. She would put him in the wheelchair, and she would run, and he loved it, absolutely loved it. So she decided to start racing with Jeffrey, and that's how the story was born, and that's how she made the press 
She doesn't win every time, but it's interesting what she said about running with Jeffrey, pushing him in that wheelchair. She said, he loves it so much. He loves the race so much that I forget about the pain of running. And the crowd doesn't cheer us because we're competing. The crowd cheers us because we're siblings, we're brothers and sisters, and we're running together. Isn't that the way it should be? Some of us are broken and in need of help. Still, all of us will falter and waffle along the way. Most of us sometimes struggle with decisions in life, but we're brothers and sisters. We're in this together. And there's a funny thing about doing it together. Sometimes your own pain seems to go away when you're in the race with somebody who loves the race so much. We need each other. Don't forget that. Sometimes we are our own worst public relations firm. We don't know what we believe, but we can do something about that. We can learn what the Bible teaches, what we believe. We don't always live holy lives and our neighbors and our co-workers and our classmates know that, but, but we can change that. We can decide to live a holy life because he is holy and he has called us to be holy. We, we don't always represent the church on planet earth the way God would want us to, but we can do that. We can be the people of God in our generation. We can be the agents of change. We can support each other and pray for each other, be there for each other. Instead of criticizing, we can remember what we have in common and lift each other up. We can do that, can't we? Yeah, we can do that. Maybe you're in this room this morning and there's been a point along the way that's really touched you. It could be you've been struggling through a gospel conversation. It could be you've got an argumentative person in your life and when you try to give answers, they just want to argue. It could be you, you, you want to be proactive and have a healthy biblical conversation with someone and you're praying about how to do that. I want to pray for you in that situation. It could be the old habits, the old desires of ignorance are pressing you, pulling on you. I want to pray for you. But will you be honest with God about that? If he's showing you something you need to repent, will you, will you, will you do that today, confess that to him? It could be that you haven't been so loving and caring and the body of Christ. You can change that. You can start over today with your siblings in Christ, cultivating what you have in common instead of criticizing. We can do that. Let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we pause in this moment, God, so glad and grateful for the hope we have in Christ. So thankful, Father, that you're, you found us broken and saved us when we trusted Christ. So thankful, God, that all of us in this room and at home can once again acknowledge, Father, that we have waffled, we have been distracted, we've diluted our faith, we have failed you, Father, even sinned against you, and yet when we turn to you, we find grace. We praise you for that. God, I pray for those here and at home, those, Father, who, who struggle with conversations, who want to talk to someone, that, or they keep being confronted by someone, those conversations that you bring to mind right now, I pray for that. I pray you would cover that with grace. I pray you would build us up in confidence. I pray, God, we would be 
our minds would be set on our hope in Christ and we would know the Word of God and we would apply that lovingly, honestly, and truthfully. God, help us with that. And help us with that relationship we have in mind. I pray for that person that we're thinking about right now who needs Christ. I pray for that person that's, that's argumentative, that person that's been hurt by the church or by another Christian. I pray, God, for them, wherever they are, God, in their, their struggles, Father, that you would help us to help them. Put us in their lives. Let us see the opening, God, to share the gospel. We pray for our ones who need Christ. And God, I pray for those of us in this room and at home, Father, that our lives have hardly been holy. And we forget, Father, that our calling is to set our hope on Christ and to live holy lives. So God, we ask in repentance that you would shape us and change us. You would forgive us, God. We confess that. If you're showing us something, God, we confess that sin. And God, we repent of that and we turn back to you, Father. We pray, God, our choices would show our desire to live a holy life and to live for Christ. And God, I pray for us as a church and in this church. As believers in Christ, Father, forgive us where we have created conflict among our siblings in Christ, where we have been critical of our siblings in Christ. God, please forgive us for that. Remind us what we hold in common together. Remind us of our faith, our salvation in Christ. And Father, if if we need to go to someone, whether it's been in front of them or behind their backs, God, we've been critical. Father, If we need to go to them, confess and ask their forgiveness. Show us that, Father. And we would forgive one another just as you have forgiven us. Father, build up the body of Christ. May our love shine through in all that we do that the world around us says, I want that. I want to be a part of that. God, help us with that. I pray for those in this room and at home who need Christ as their Savior. God, maybe today is the day they realize Jesus and Jesus alone can save them, can be their living hope if they would trust Christ. I pray for them, God, that they would put all their faith and trust in Jesus today and Christ alone to save them from their sins. And Father, as I pray this simple prayer, if there's one here or at home that would pray this in faith to trust Christ, put that on their hearts, that they would pray this prayer to you. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I am. I confess that to you. And I know that I cannot save myself. Maybe I've been trying, God. Forgive me for that, but I I realize now I cannot save myself. But Jesus, I, I know that you are my hope, my only hope. So today by faith, Jesus, I put all my trust in you and you alone. I believe you died on the cross for me and that you're alive today. And because you're alive, you can give me eternal life. Cleanse me of my sin. And Jesus, today I put my faith in you and in you alone. Heavenly Father, for those who made that commitment today and for other commitments we need to make, maybe to pray at the altar, maybe to join fellowship with First Baptist. Father, as we start a time of response, I pray you'd move in our midst, the Holy Spirit would move in our hearts, here at home, wherever we are, God, that we would come to you. We would make those decisions. We would confess those sins. We would do what you're asking us to do, that we leave this place different people because of Christ. And it's in his precious name we pray.